look at verses 22 to 25 here today, at least that's the plan, 22 to 25. We live, my friends, in a society today that has a far different view of love than just a generation ago. Today, somehow, love is equated with agreement. If you agree in my ideology, if you agree in my uh, political preference, if you uh, agree with my deeply held beliefs, well, then you love me. But if you don't agree with me, well, then somehow you don't love me. It's not that we just don't disagree or that we disagree. It's somehow that we don't love each other anymore. I hear frequently today, if you don't agree with me, then you just don't love me. Love has also become disposable in many ways as well. And the prevalent thought is that if we don't love someone anymore, then we can just simply terminate our relationship with them. Even the terminology of falling into love or falling out of love lends itself to this idea that love can change in a moment and that we are powerless somehow to change our feelings that are associated with love. But as always, we want to run those thoughts. We want to run those beliefs. We want to run those feelings against the Word of God. We want to use the Word of God as a filter, a metric, if you will, that we're going to funnel everything through to see if this is true or not. So what does the Bible say about love? Well, it tells us that we are to love one another. We're to love one another. How are we to do that? Well, there are many passages. I could fill up the rest of our time here together just talking about love in Scripture. But here's some that are very familiar with you. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you, what? Love one another. How? Even as I loved you, love one another. Then there's a, a little later in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love never fails. And that's true. The scriptures are correct that love never fails us. But so many times and in so many ways, we fail to love as Christ would have us love one another. And that's what we want to talk about today, my friends. We want to talk about how we are to love one another. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together in his holy word. Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, again for these dear saints, those who are with us here now, those who are ministering in other parts of the church, those who are at home, Lord, listening, Bibles open, ready to hear your word. I pray, Father, that we can claim your promise that your word never returns to you void, and that it always accomplishes exactly what you would have it accomplish in our hearts and in our minds. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us now in our midst today, in this hour, for your honor and for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Well, before we get to verse 22, our text here this morning, let's just
quickly remind ourselves of how we got here. You will recall that Peter laid the foundation in this whole section in chapter 1 in verses 3 through 12. And in verses 3 through 12, he describes what I keep referring to as what? This great salvation, right? This great salvation that we have. And you can, you know, we've, uh, we've rehearsed it many times already in verses 3 through 12, but Right? We've been born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have an inher- inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. That's reserved in heaven for you, which is pretty, who are protected by the power of God. How? Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. This great salvation is the foundation from which everything else springs. Then beginning in verse 13, Peter says, this is what you're supposed to do with it. Peter begins to walk us through how our lives should be reflected because we have such a great salvation. It should make a difference in the way that we live our lives. And so the first thing he tells us we must do beginning in verse 13 is we must what? Fix our hope on Jesus. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter what trials you're going through, Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then we have a responsibility to live our lives in a certain way, right? Fix your hope on Jesus. Fix your hope on the primary command here. Despite all the trials, despite all the tribulations, despite the persecution that they're going through, despite the suffering, fix second primary command was found in verses 14 to 16, and that is what? Be holy. Fix your hope on Jesus. Be holy. As believers, we have inherited such a great salvation. We are to live our lives in a holy manner. We are holy people. What does that mean? We've been consecrated, set apart, set aside for the Lord. And the way we live our lives should be reflective of the fact that we are a God has called us out to himself. We are not to live as the world lives. We are to be, to be distinct in the way that we live, and that way is far different from how the world lives. And then, our responsibility then as those who have received such a great salvation to fix our hope on Jesus, to be holy, and then as we saw last week in verses 17 to 21, fear God. Fear God. This fear that he's talking about, as we went into great detail last week, is a reverential fear. It's a holy fear. It's a reverential awe of who God is and what he has done for you. And we're to have that top of mind in everything that we do. And that holy fear is grounded in the truth that we are held accountable for how we stand before the Bema seat and have our works pass through the fire. And remember, this is not to determine if you're going to keep your salvation. That's impossible for you to lose your salvation in Christ. Why? Because your salvation is secured by Christ. He is the anchor of your salvation. Praise God for that. Praise God that our salvation isn't dependent on whether or not 
my faith is waffling that day. Praise God that my faith is rooted in Jesus Christ. It is secured forever. He is the anchor in the Holy of Holies. Hebrews 6. Secondly, we are to live our lives again in holy fear because what has God has done for us on the cross? Redeeming us from the bondage of sin. And what? At great cost. What was the great cost of redemption? It wasn't silver. It wasn't gold. What was it? It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Far greater value. And then lastly, we are to live our lives in holy fear because of what God has accomplished for us from before time began. And the works that he accomplished before our great salvation. We looked at that last week too, didn't we? That God planned that time began. He wrote your name down in the Lamb's book of life before the earth was ever created. Hard to fathom that, isn't it? What great love our Father has. That brings us to the remaining verses in chapter 1, and we find those in verses 22 to 25. So let me warn you already, we will not make it through these verses. I would be surprised if we make it through verse 22, but that shouldn't surprise you, knowing me make sure that we spend enough time on verse 22 to give it the attention that it needs because it's so important. The final command, right? Fix your hope on Jesus, right? Be holy, fear God. Here's the next one. Love one another. Love one another. That's the final command we are given. And what we're supposed to do with the salvation. love that we have for one another is to be expressed in very specific ways. So let's look, if we can, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 22. And look at verse 22a. We'll just stop right at the first part. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Let's just stop right there. That brings us to our first point. Because we have been born again, such a great salvation, we can love one another. Because we've been born again to such a great salvation, we can love one another. Peter's first point here is that this great salvation we have received by grace through faith has caused us to be born again. And because we are born again, we have a new nature, my friends. We are a new creation in Christ. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this new nature of yours yearns for Christ, yearns for his word, and is accompanied by the Holy Spirit that leads and guides and directs and empowers us to be able to love one another. How? Just as Christ has loved you. We see this place in 1st Peter. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This is what Paul is talking about here. He says, and hope does not disappoint because what? The love of God has been Poured out where? Within our hearts. How? 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, when did all this happen? Well, the text tells us, actually, it happened moment of your salvation. That's what First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, right? For you have been born again. And at that very moment, at the very moment of your salvation, the instant of your conversion, you received a new nature, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and because you have been given a new heart, my friends, you are able to love one another loves you. There's not a different Holy Spirit for Paul or for Peter than there is for you. I think sometimes we look at the, we'll read through the Bible and we'll be like, oh, well, you know, well, that's the Apostle Paul. Oh, well, that's the Apostle Peter. There's not a different Holy Spirit. There's one. others with is a supernatural love. It's supernatural. It's not natural. It's supernatural and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter's not talking about worldly love. He's not talking about emotional love. He's not talking about your feelings. He's not talking about a disposable love that can be diminished whenever we desire. No, he's talking about a love that is not natural to our fallen nature, but instead is completely consistent with your new nature. That's what he's talking about. And it is a love that is for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look again at verse 22. Notice, it is a sincere love of whom? The brethren. It's a sincere love of the brethren. Does that not mean does that mean that we're not supposed to love the world? Well, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> we are not supposed to love the things of the world, that's for sure. We're not to love the world's evil, man-centered systems and ideologies at all. The Bible's very clear on that. But we are to love the lost in this world enough to share the gospel with them. We have to pray for them, love them enough to pray for them, Love them enough to witness to them. Love them enough to be able to see the light of Christ shining through us. The word Peter uses here for the love of your brother, and, and remember in the Greek language they have different words for love. This word here in the first part of verse 22 is phileo. Phileo is the love of family. It's familial you love your mom and your dad, like you love your brothers and your sisters, like you love your children. The word brethren is the word aldelphos, which means brother or brotherly in the context that it's in here. And that's where we get the word 
Philadelphians, or Philadelphia. Anybody know what the city of Philadelphia is called? The city of brotherly love. That's where this word, that's where it comes from. But he's not just talking about loving your own family, but rather loving each other in the family of God like you love your own family. And that's, this is what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of Mark. Keep your place here and go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3. <clears throat> Look at verse, well, pick it up, verse 32. Mark, chapter 3, verse 32. crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And then looking about those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sisters and mother. We have a responsibility, my friends, to love one another as we love our own families. And I know what you're thinking there. Pastor, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I even like them, let alone love them. Love them like I love my own family members? The answer is, Not if you've never been born again. You're going to struggle with that. Matter of fact, I would tell you, it's impossible for you to love like that. Without a new nature, without the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's hard enough with it. Because we have to yield to it, don't we? But it's impossible without it. But if you've been born again, then you have been given a new nature. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that is the expe expectation or, dare I say again, it's a command. It's not a recommendation. It's not a suggestion. It's a command that we are to love one another with a love that's consistent with the love that we love our own families with. That's a tall challenge, isn't it? So point number one is because we have been born again to such a great salvation, we can love one another. But let's continue our look at the way in which we're supposed to love one another. What does that look like? Well, we find that back in our text in Romans, or, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22b, right? So uh, 22a, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Point number two, because we have been born again to such a great salvation, we can love one another sincerely. Now, what does that mean? Of course, we want to love each other sincerely. But that word, sincere, comes from a Latin word, sincere. And sincere means without wax. So when a merchant was selling clay vases in the marketplaces, 
one of the issues that would occur with clay pots is that they would crack rather easily. And so the merchant, not willing to give up all their profits, would simply take the crack in the vase and then fill it with wax so it didn't look like there was a crack in there, and then paint over it. Well, that's all well and good, but you can imagine what happens if you pour a warm liquid or if it sits out in the hot sun and you've got liquid stored in it or grain, not so good, right? So the way around that was to ask the merchant, is this sincere? In other words, is this as it appears? Is this real? The buyer then would hold the pottery up to the light, and if the light shined through, you knew it, uh, it was fake. It was not as it it was a hypocrisy, right? It was not as it appeared. Hypocrisy, incidentally, in the Greek means masks, right? False masks. Same idea here. That's how our love should be for one another. It should be without hypocrisy. It should be honest and genuine. It should never be self-serving or intentionally dishonest or harmful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be always, always a reflection of the love our Savior has for us. That's the standard of sincere love. And notice also, it's from the heart. That means it's an extension of who you really are in the Lord. It's an outpouring. It's the outpouring of one who is saved. the surest ways you can tell if someone's love is genuine and sincere is how they respond when they've been hurt. Do they respond with grace and humility? Or do they respond with anger? It's quite easy to love one another when everything's going well, but how will we respond when we've been hurt by others? That, to me, is one of the truest tests for the love we have for one another. Certainly, forgiveness would be an integral part of this as well. But continuing to love and serve others, even when you have been hurt, is a good test for the sincerity of your love for one another. Think about it in your own families. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever been hurt by one another by your families. I must be the only one that's okay myself as an example. But we don't quit loving each other just because we're hurt, do we? We still love. We still serve. Point number one, because we have been born again to such a great salvation, we can love one another. Point number two, because we've been born again to such a great salvation, we can love one another sincerely. Now let's look at our final point in verse See, since you've been, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Point number three: because we've been born again to such a great salvation, we can love one another how? Fervently. Fervently. Now here, Peter switches to a different word for love. He moves away from the word phileo. And he moves to a very familiar word for love for us here in this room, and that is the word what? Agape, or 
agapeo. And that word is helpful in our understanding and one that we're all familiar with. Agape love is the love of the will. It's not the love of the emotions. It's the love of the will. It's a love that says, I choose to love you no matter what. It's the love that's connected with marriage. It's the love in marriage that says, I choose to love you no matter what. I choose to love you even when you're being your most unlovable. I choose to love you. I choose to love you in good times and in bad. It's the love that Christ demonstrated in Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. That's agape love. It's the love of sacrifice. It's the love of the will. While we are constantly rebelling against him with every fiber of our being, he loved us with agape love. He loved us when we denied him, when we willfully choose our own or chose our own desires over him, when we created false idols in our hearts and worshiped them, and he never ceased to love us with his sacrificial love through it all. If that had been you and I, my friends, and somebody was rebelling and hurting and intentionally the table. 
don't save our full love for another time. We don't hold it back in reserve just in case. No, we give it all. We do not expect anything in return, <coughs> Excuse me. but rather we love one another fervently with every fiber of our body holding nothing back. We leave nothing on the table. We love one another until we can no longer love one another, and then we strain forward to love one another again. enjoyed sports. One of the companions of sports, especially the ones I participate, participated in, was weightlifting, which I happen to enjoy. One of the things that you strive for in weightlifting is to work your muscles to exhaustion. To work it to you, you can't even do one more rep. Because you know when you do that, you've pushed the muscle to the maximum. There's nothing left for you to give. And you know what happens to your muscle when you do that? It grows. It grows when you do that. When you push it to the point of exhaustion, you just can't do another one. It grows. And that's what Peter is talking about here in verse 22 with that word fervent. Beloved, our love for one another needs to be stretched to the max, to our capacity in order to grow in Christ-like love for one another. What does that look like? Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens thereby fulfill the law of Christ. One of the ways that we are stretched in our love for one another is when we're called to come alongside one another in their time of need. That's one of the ways we get stretched in how we love one another. Paul said here in Galatians 6 too that when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what's the law of Christ, you ask? Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, I want you to see here, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has what? Fulfilled the law. Look at verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love, beloved, fulfills the law of Christ. And every time we're stretched in our capacity to love like Christ loves us, we grow and become more Christ-like. And notice also that this love comes from where? The heart. How do you know it's an internal love and not just some showy outside external thing to impress all of our Christian friends of how loving we are? Galatians 5.22. Do you know what Galatians 5.22 is? It's the passage of the 
the Spirit. What's the first fruit? Love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hey, okay. When I yield to the Spirit's leading, I bear the fruit of love that the Holy Spirit produces in me. I'm bearing the fruit natural byproduct of being born again. As I yield to the spirit that indwells me, he produces in me Christ-like love. And then when I yield to the spirit, I bear that kind of love. It's a supernatural kind of love. It's not natural. Our fallen nature doesn't want to love like that. Sacrificially, putting your needs ahead of mine. That's what your heart is saying. But a new heart in Christ is empowered to be able to do that. We're only able to love like that because we've been born again. We're only able to love like that because we've been given a new nature. We're only able to love like that because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural love, a love that empowers us to love each other like our very own families. A love that empowers us to love each other sincerely, without hypocrisy. It's a love that's not self-serving, but genuine and honest and sincere with no ulterior motives connected to it. It's a love that's from the heart, not phony, not fake, but true. It is, without a doubt, my friends, Christ-like love. And once again, this is a command from our Lord, not a suggestion, not a recommendation. Each of the four imperatives in here are just that. They're commands. They're imperatives. There's no wiggle room. Why does the Lord command you to love in this way? Because he's already given you everything you need to be able to do it. You just have to. You don't need to read any more books about it, my friends. You don't need to take any more classes about it. You don't need to attend any more conferences about it. You just need to do it. You don't need anything else to be able to do it. The only question that remains is, will you submit to the Spirit's leading and love one another as you've been commanded by the Lord? And I pray that you do for the sake of our church and for the glory of Let's just take a few minutes and talk about what that will look like in your life as we kind of close this up. And I'm going to borrow from Dr. MacArthur's commentary in this passage because he asked a series of very challenging questions, and I want to make sure that we ask ourselves these same questions. He begins, I want you to ask yourself the question, who do you know that has a real need? Who do you know that's struggling financially? Who do you know right now that's struggling emotionally? Who do you know that's struggling spiritually or maritally? Who do you know that's a widow in need? Who do you know that's a single parent trying to raise children all alone? Who do you know that's an orphan or a foster child that needs somebody to care for him or her? Who do you know that's struggling in tragedy? Who do you know 
that's struggling with the death of a spouse or facing the death of a spouse? Who do you know that's in illness or in a hospital or in a nursing home? Who do you know that's in sin? Who do you know that is lonely? Who do you know that has a real need? And then ask yourself, what am I doing? the love of the will, the agape love, the biblical love, the love of marriage, the love of relationships, the love of Christ with our feelings. It's hurt us, Lord, in our walk with you, and it's hurt the church. Help us, Father, dear Lord, help us love one another in the way that you love us. That's my heart. That's my heart's cry this morning. us, if you will, encourage us to do 